We're going to be in Genesis 5, and as we continue our way through Genesis, and I am going to read word by word through the whole genealogy. Just kidding. (laughs) But in the midst of this genealogy, there's some great tidbits that we're going to look at this morning as we look at the descendants of Adam. So let me pray and we'll get started. Father, I thank you for a chapter like this that is full of names that shows how important people are to you, that we're not numbers, that... uh, Father, how much you care about us. You created us in your image and in your likeness, and you created us to have a relationship with you. And so, Father, as we spend this time this morning, this afternoon together, I pray that you would use it again to draw us closer and deeper into our relationship with you. Please teach us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, every two years, every four years, uh, this has got to be my least favorite time of ever as we are in the middle of um, politicians ripping each other apart and tearing each other down in order uh, to hopefully get your vote because they'll think you're not as bad as the other person. Um, I was, it, it just st- stunned me again as um, uh, Mr. Romney uh, picked his running mate and immediately it's, it's, it's what can we do to rip this guy apart <laughs> and tear this guy down. And uh, as I thought about it, I thought, man, what an incredible decision to decide to run for office knowing that you are going to be just shredded by the opposition. Um, it, it is such a, such a sign of our times, I think, how um, the way our vote is, tries, tries to be swayed is, is by um, convincing us of how horrible the other person is as compared to how good uh, the person wanting our vote is. And, and it goes on both sides of the aisle. Um, as we move beyond politics and we move into the business world, it's the same thing. I'm just constantly disheartened, and I'm, I'm sure we all are. As, I mean, we're in the midst of a, a rough economic time because of, I would say mostly because of the greed and the corruption of corporate America. And I'm not suggesting that you live in a tent in a park somewhere. But, um, you know, the failure of banks and the failure of corporations is just on a big scale what we witnessed years ago when our oldest daughter tried to get a job as a barista after having received excellent training at the Coffee Oasis. Um, 
And virtually every place she tried to get a job, they offered her an under-the-table job in Bremerton. I mean, so whether it's small business or big business, whether it's trying to get someone to work under the table or some kind of big Ponzi scheme or something, it's, we live in a, a dark world. Whether it's politics or business, um, you can't even worship in America or go to a movie in America to, today without fear for your life, huh? I mean, in Wisconsin, the shooting at the Sikh temple that cost the lives of many people. You know, the movie premiere in Aurora, Colorado. Whether it's the drug wars in Mexico or immorality. A statistic I saw yesterday, seven out of 10 young people have sex before their 19th birthday in the United States of America. Uh, or whether it's just hopelessness as the suicide rates both with young people and old people are, are rampant. I'm not stating anything new except to say we live in a dark world. And for some of it, it might describe the environment that, that we are in, maybe the work environment uh, where we're surrounded by gossip and slander and profanity and immorality or, or the school environment or our circle of friends or maybe even our own households or our families. As I was thinking about it, it we live in a dark world where, you know, kind of like the little kid song, it says where this little light of mine is very challenging to shine. Um, depending on where you live. So the question this morning as we come to Genesis 5 is how is it possible in this world to be different? Let alone to make a difference in this world, this dark world that we live in. Um, how do we, how are we in a work environment or in a school environment or, or, or among a circle of friends uh, when laughing at off-color humor is the thing to do or, or everybody's letting out an F-bomb or um, everybody's being a little generous in what they're claiming on their income tax or you know, we could go on and on. How can we make a difference in the midst of that world? Not hibernate or isolate, but in the thick of it, how can we be individuals that make a difference? And to me, Genesis 5 is a beautiful example of how to do that and how to be those individuals. Um, it's not by holding away in your, in your house and reading this genealogy every day, okay? It's, 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 it's in the midst of the world being different. So if you're there, what we're going to do, we're just going to kind of work our way through three key sections in Genesis chapter 5. And the first one is, is just to kind of help us to see that the world of Genesis 5 wasn't any different than the world I just described in the United States of America. So let's start at Genesis 5, the first three verses. Notice it says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. 
When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. And we saw that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God made us human beings in his image and in his likeness. He created them, male and female, and he blessed them and he called them human. Verse 3, but when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was like him in his very image. And what we understand, having seen Genesis chapter 3, as we come to Genesis chapter 5, is that Seth, who was born in Adam's image, was very different from Adam and Eve, born in God's image. I mean, not born, but created in God's image. Because Seth was in Adam's sinful image. And we see it so clearly. I mean, coming out of Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 4, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Genesis 4.8, we see Cain killing his brother Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, we see Lamech, who's a descendant of Cain's, boasting about killing a man and killing a, a, a child. And if you go past Genesis chapter 5 to Genesis chapter 6, we see God's evaluation of the world at that time. Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything that people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Wow. A dark place. So, as we come into Genesis chapter 5, I want you to understand that what we're going to look at as we ask the question, how is it possible to be different when surrounded by darkness, is that the men we're going to see in Genesis chapter 5 experience the same thing. It's not like you say, well, man, it's got to be a lot worse now. I and mean, we're talking 2,000 years later. But remember God's evaluation in Genesis 6, 5. Totally, completely evil. The thoughts, the imaginations, the behaviors of human beings. <laughs> Back then, it, it's just like now. It's dark. So how possible to be a difference? Two men I want you to notice. The first one is Enoch in chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. And after the birth of Methuselah, notice how it's described here. Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Wouldn't that be a neat way to be described? Um, Enoch walked in close fellowship with God, and then one day he disappeared because God took him. In the midst of the darkness, I want you to remember that. I mean, when God looks out over the world and he, he, he sees humanity, he sees total and complete evil, but in the midst of that darkness, Enoch walking and living in close 
fellowship with God. I mean, if we're, if we were to put that in, in just simple language, I think it's saying that God and Enoch were tight. They hung out together. They talked about everything. They talked about cars and, well, they didn't have cars back then. Um, they talked about finances. They talked about work. They talked about women, kids, fishing, baseball. They didn't talk about baseball. But they talked about everything. They were in close fellowship. I mean, let's not make this some kind of, you know, idealistic thing like, man, that must mean just they were tight. Enoch and God walked in close relationship with each other. And so Enoch asked God everything. I mean, anything that he, you know, he asked God about, man, I'm having a hard time raising Jeremiah, Judah. I mean, so he asked God, what do I do? What do I do when my kids are rebelling and they're, uh, they're not wheat in the garden like they should? He asked God about how to be patient with his wife and how not to blow up at his boss and how to make ends meet. I mean, they, they, were, co they were close. Get the idea? Enoch, God, close. In the midst of the darkness. When everybody around Enoch was doing their own thing, going along with the crowd, living a dark life, Enoch was in close fellowship with God. What does that tell? It says it's possible, right? <laughs> it says it's possible. Whatever your work situation, whatever, whatever your household situation, your family, your school, it's possible. Enoch demonstrated that to live in close fellowship with God in the midst of the darkness when everybody around him wasn't living that way. The second one, it's just a, um, a couple generations farther. We see Enoch, and then we see Methuselah, who was the guy that lived the longest of any man that's ever lived, 969 years. It's interesting, as you trace their genealogies, Methuselah died at the flood. That's how he died. If you, if you look at his, the years he lived. But Lamech who was Methuselah's son, Enoch's grand, grandson, died five years before the flood. So he didn't die a wicked man, I don't think, at the flood. He died five years before the flood. And if you don't believe me, you can figure out the, 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 the years, okay? But let's, let's read about Lamech. I, I think he's the second inspiration to us how in the midst of the darkness we can live in a way that makes a difference. Verse 28. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son, and Lamech named his son Noah. For he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. And, and so Lamech named his son Noah. Noah means rest or relief or comfort. And in naming him, Lamech says, this is the one 
I hope, <laughs> I pray, will bring us relief from this cursed earth because of our sin. I think, as we look at Lamech, that he was thinking maybe he's the one of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Or if he's not the one, at least he's going to be the one that maybe his kid or his kid's kid is going to be the one. The, the seed promised in Genesis 3.15 who would come and crush the head of the serpent and break the power of the curse and bring relief, <laughs> bring restoration between humanity and God. And so we see Lamech, again, in the midst of the darkness, hoping in God's promise. Where everybody else is just reveling in the darkness and enjoying doing their own thing and separated from God, Lamech is hoping in what God has promised. So the question is, what caused Lamech to name his son Noah, hoping in the promise of God? And why did Enoch live in such close relationship with God? What caused, made these two guys stand out, be different, make a difference in their world when everybody else was going their own way? What made them different? Well, to know what made them different, turn to Hebrews 11. And we see a reference to Enoch and the answer to the question. And I hope just, just really simply to us the encouragement or the challenge of how we can be different. When maybe some of us are saying, man, I just, it's impossible. You don't know, what, you don't know my work situation. And, and I've talked to guys that, you know, gals, I mean, you don't know my work situation. You don't know how just how profane and immoral and degrading and it's but and, and I don't know but but I can read and see that that's the way it was back when Enoch and Lamech lived totally completely evil and yet they were men who made a difference why Hebrews 11 start at verse 5 Hebrews 11.5, it says it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Enoch pleased God. Why did he please God? Verse 6, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. And then it describes for us what this person of faith is. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And I think it's interesting because I think those two phrases capture Enoch and Lamech as men of faith, men who pleased God and were different. 
is faith. They were guys that believed, that really believed that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God exists. I, I think this captures Enoch. I mean, get this. Enoch lived as if God really existed. I want, how many of us do that? I, honestly, I, I, I can go through my day and I look back and it's like, that was just Dave. <laughs> I mean, God didn't even have to be a part of any of that. In my decisions, in my relationships, my communication, it was, it was, it was all Dave. But Enoch, he's a guy that lived as if God really existed. It says he lived, he walked in close fellowship with God. I mean, as he walked through, he, it was as if God was really real. Isn't that kind of weird? It's like God was real. He was right there, and, and Enoch was just asking him, and, 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 and it might be, I, we don't know. Adam and Eve, in the cool of the garden before they were kicked out, they just they walked with God. And so did Enoch literally walk with God? Or did he just have this close, close relationship with God? So, so he, he was stumped and he asked God. He was, he was burdened and he brought it to God. He was happy and he, and he, told, and he just praised God. He just... It was like God was real, like he was a real person. Kind of weird, isn't it? Doesn't Enoch's life reminds us that it doesn't have to be weird. And that's what faith is. The, the first thing about faith is that in the midst of a dark world, we can live believing that God is real and walk through it with him so that so that what's going on around us doesn't invade or take over or change the intimacy of our relationship with God that impacts our world as opposed to our world impacting us. That's faith. It believes that God exists. It's such a simple phrase. Faith is believing that God exists. I mean, that he's right here. It's like he's sitting next to you, standing next to me. And when I'm struggling with my finances, I bring it to him. When I'm, when I'm bugged about somebody at work, I talk to him about it. I mean, it's like he's real. That's faith. And that's how in the midst of the darkness, Enoch could be different. Because he believed that God really existed, was real. The second is, it says that God rewards those who see him. Now, so whereas Enoch lived as if God was really real, Lamech lived in expectation that what he promised would really happen. In Genesis 3, God promised that a seed, the seed of the woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent and would break the curse and restore man's relationship with God. And Lamech believed it. And he lived like is it my son? Or is it my son's son or my son's grandson? Because he believed that God said it and it would happen. And for us, 
it, it's, it's really believing <laughs> that Jesus is going to come back. It's a, a great verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Listen, this is Paul. He was another kind of crazy guy like Enoch and Lamech. Uh, he believed God. Listen to what he says. Verse, I'll start at verse 6. Paul says, as for me, this is the last letter that he wrote. He's about ready to die. He says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. My life has just been like poured out to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That was Lamech. See, he was looking for cut promised. And that's what I'm about. I'm about what God promised. That's my hope. Is that our hope? Not, not just that God exists and that we can walk with him through the day, but that in the midst of this darkness, someday this darkness is going to be done. And Jesus is going to return and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and we're going to live with him forever. And so that hope, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, if, if, if we don't have that hope, we're of all men most to be pitied because in the midst of a dark world, living different is stupid unless we believe that Jesus is coming back. And it's not just about what's here. It's not just about eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like Otherwise, why not make the most of it unless we really believe that Jesus is coming back? And that was Lamech. God exists and he's coming back. What does it mean for us? I think simply what it means for us and concluding here is that by faith, we can be the same. It, it wasn't that these guys were extraordinary guys. They were just guys that lived by faith, that took God at his word that believe that God is real, that he exists, and he made a promise, and he's going to keep his promise. And so that we can do the same by faith, by believing, by really believing who God is and what he has promised, we can be different. We can be boldly different, not brashly different, nicely different, lovingly different. Believing that God is really real. And the, the reason I'm emphasizing that is because I think most of us go through a lot of our days not really, really believing that God is real today. I mean, he's a real person and he's with me. That he lives today. He's here. He's with you when you go to work, you go to school, in your home, in your neighborhood. Uh, where you live, where you breathe, where you burp. Yeah, he doesn't like loud burps. No, 
he's here. He's real. He's really real. And he's coming back. He really is. He promised. He's coming back. And if we get those two things like Enoch and Lama just in our heads, by faith, we believe, we really believe. How can we be those people? By spending time in his word, saying that, man, he's made hundreds of promises and they've all come true. He's never not done what he said. He's faithful. And so we can believe him. We can trust him. And we can be a people in the midst of the darkness that make a difference, that are bright lights. You know, those letting our little lights shine, they won't be, they won't be, don't let Satan it out, and it won't be. We won't have money because we believe that he's real and he's coming back. Let's pray. Father, these are such simple truths, but I think so often we just don't, we just don't take out your word. Uh, we allow the darkness to overwhelm us and squash out our lights instead of just taking out your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would use your word to bring encouragement to each one of us that you are faithful, that you're real. And God, that believing those things, we would be people that make a difference. And our world so desperately needs the light of Jesus, our lights shining for him. Thank you, Father, for the faithful God that you are, the good God that you are to us in Jesus. Amen.